I don't get on social media much, uh, but recently I was sent a, a video by another uh, pastor friend of mine. And it was just, it was really, a, a really interesting video uh, talking about one of the, you know, something in the church and a practice in the church. And I won't get into the details of the practice, but it was what fascinated me was the responses of people. This is a pastor's group. You've got to understand, this is a pastor's group, exclusive pastor's Facebook group. <clears throat> I don't get on there enough, but I don't, I don't respond, almost never respond, because there's no point. But what you find is that they argue with each other all the time. Amen. They argue with each other. They get angry with each other. They throw scriptures the way they want to interpret. One A and Pastor A interprets it this way. Pastor B interprets it this way. And it's all. But at the end of the day, they just get mad with each other. And I'm like, what's the point? And, but it's kind of interesting how social media gives people who would not open their mouth in public, gives them plenty of room to go say whatever they want to say. And very often they say something so extreme that gets a response because that's what they want. And somehow it feels like whoever shouts the longest or shouts the loudest wins the argument. It doesn't make sense at the end of the day. But that's a trend we see more and more right now. That somehow kind of challenges me and bothers me is that somehow we now justify anger and hatred and violence, you know, and even... I think in a growing sense, we teach people how to be victims. And when you feel like a victim and you feel like you are wrong, you justify being offended. And we kind of have to fight for things to survive. And I don't know where the Sermon on the Mount gets lost and all that, but somehow it seems acceptable when you hear, you say, okay, it's okay to be angry. Uh, you know, and we kind of you got to understand where he's coming from. You know, you hear, I hear that all the, all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I understand where he comes from, but that still just doesn't justify him doing what he did. Right. But think about it. Music, so much of our music reflects violence and anger. Movies, schools, violence and anger, families. I mean, society in the whole, but the biggest lack that we see is forgiveness. The biggest lack we see is forgiveness. Think about a church. It's impossible to live without offending somebody. I mean, Jesus, the perfect person, and people got offended with him. And because we have the propensity to offend people, and the propensity to be offended, that's why the Bible demands forgiveness. If there's no forgiveness, we know the cycle. If there's no forgiveness, there's anger. And we know how that ends. It never ends right. Think, I mean, you always, we are constrained, and this someone told long time back, we are constrained by consequences. That's why we don't lash out to people how we want to lash out. Because in my mind, I could punch him in the face. I'm not the only one who thinks of that, right? But we are restrained by consequences. Just think about it. If you lived in a world that had no consequences, it would be extremely violent. The need for forgiveness. We're scared of the repercussions. Anyway, someone said, 
Never is a person more like Satan than when he is angry and when he hates. On the other hand, never is a person more like God when he loves and forgives. That's why I've titled my sermon this morning, Being Imitators of Christ. We focused on serving last Sunday, and today we're talking about being an imitator of Christ and being able to forgive, or forgiveness, the whole idea of forgiveness. Because those of us who confess Christ as Lord, not just say it, but confess Christ as Lord, need to be marked by our genuine love, by our genuine love, which manifests in forgiveness. No idea what's happening. Maybe they don't want to hear what I have to say. But we are called to be imitators of Christ, church. Amen. We forgive because He did. And think there's no other evidence, greater evidence than Him, hanging on the cross saying what? Father, forgive them in the midst of the greatest injustice in the history of humanity. Yeah. Father, forgive them. Please don't buy into the lie, and I tell people this all the time, that vengeance is justified. It is never, never justified. All it does is satisfy your own pride. That's all it does. And that too for a very short period, because you're going to find something else to be mad about. To be honest, the price of anger, the price of hate, the price of unforgiveness, the price of vengeance is ridiculously high. It destroys people, it destroys families, it destroys societies, it destroys nations on the whole. That is why the need for Christians to forgive and what the Word of God says about forgiveness is extremely important for us who confess Christ as Lord. This morning I want to look at a, probably one of the greatest challenges ever on the topic of forgiveness. Because if you really want to be like Christ, you have to forgive. You have to learn to forgive. It doesn't come automatically. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. It's a familiar story. That's my primary text. I have several scriptures and I can put that down somewhere. Matthew chapter 18 verse 21 onwards. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not even, uh, sorry, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted, he goes into this parable basically. The kingdom of, God, uh, kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began settle, the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Verse 26, at this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 
But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. See the difference? I mean, we'll point to it later. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Same exact words. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. That scares me. You wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The last part, not just from your lips. From your heart. Church, we realize this, or we ought to realize this, that none of us would have a relationship with God unless God was a forgiving God. The only reason we are here, we're able to do what we do, and we're able to have a relationship with God is because God forgives. God forgives, and I've Live long enough, really, to see, to have seen families torn apart because of unforgiveness. Church has been torn apart because of unforgiveness. Not because people were offended. It's because people who were offended refused to forgive. We know. We know the harm unforgiveness does. You don't have to be really a Christian to know the, the harm it does. Just a few things that I found. Unforgiveness imprisons a person in their past. Unforgiveness imprisons a person in the past. As long as you refuse to forgive offenses and the offenders, you are in bondage to that event that's way back in the past. You keep that pain alive when you refuse to forgive. It's like rubbing salt on a wound or picking at a scab that's not healed and you keep picking at it. All it does is leave you in constant pain. I told you it's a challenge to preach, but let me be blunt if I can for a moment. When you choose not to forgive, you're actually choosing to hate. That's as simple as it is. When you choose not to forgive, you're choosing to love hate. And of course, we know what happens. It grows in our hearts like a cancer. Eventually, after some time, you suppress it and suppress it and suppress it, and then it's going to explode one day, and then you really don't know what you can do. Out of control. When you are unwilling for, to forgive, the truth is this. When you're unwilling to forgive, you entertain thoughts of revenge. You entertain. You won't do it. But you entertain it and thus give Satan a foothold into your life. When you're unwilling to forgive, what you end up doing is going talking behind someone's back. It's called slander. Talk bad about them and of course, eventually your story gets so embellished because you want the person to feel bad for you, right? 
It just starts with unforgiveness. Anyway, the number of word pictures in the Bible that deal with forgiveness. To forgive is to, this is something I've used many times, to forgive is to turn the key, open the cell door, and let the prisoner go free. To forgive is to write in large letters across debt, nothing is owed. To forgive is like the judge who takes the gavel, pounds it in the courtroom, and declares not guilty. To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high and so far that it can never be found. To forgive is to loose the anchor that holds a ship and let it sail free. To forgive is to grant full pardon to someone who's condemned and sentenced to die. To forgive is to loosen the stranglehold of a wrestler around someone else's neck. To forgive is to smash a clay pot into a thousand pieces that can never be put back together. Several, several metaphors in the Bible. Forgiveness is amazing. Forgiveness is liberating, church. It reflects God, God's heart. Do not gloat when your enemy falls, when they stumble. Don't let your heart rejoice. Simply saying what? Don't rejoice when your enemy or the person who has wronged you stumbles. I know the natural reaction is wanting that guy to really stumble. You know, really. Good, I hope it hurts. For what he did to me. It's hard to forgive because, you know, we kind of want that guy to get, I mean, get it hard. It makes sense, church. At the end of the day, to forgive and why the Bible encourages us and tells us and commands us to forgive. Because ultimately it frees us, frees us from stress, frees us from anxiety, frees us to live in peace. It it frees us to really enjoy the joy that God has promised us. One philosopher said, only the brave know how to forgive. Cowards have done good deeds and performed kind acts, but a coward never forgives because it's not in his nature. Only the brave know how to forgive. That's why, church, the Bible tells us time and time and time again to forgive, to forgive, to forgive, Because forgiveness ought to be part of our DNA. And if we are talking about being like Christ and being imitators of Christ, we have to learn to forgive. We have to learn to forgive. If we confess, and for me it, it confounds me, when we confess Christ as Lord of our lives, how can we not forgive? How can we not forgive? I have 10 reasons to go with forgiveness. I'm going to go as as far as I can go. Forgiveness is one, I said this earlier, forgiveness is one of the most godlike acts a person can do. That's number one. Why do I forgive? Because forgiveness is one of the most godlike, Christ-like acts a person can ever do. When I forgive, I'm being like Christ. I'm not being Christ, but being like Christ. If you claim to be children of God, and God has taken residence in our hearts, He is our Father, we are His sons, it should manifest in forgiveness of others. Matthew, and Jesus always pushes it. Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We know Jewish tradition, forgiveness, and the lack of forgiveness was part of their culture and their teaching because it was righteously justified to be anger, to be angry with someone. 
You've heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You know you are a child of God. And if the world needs to know that you are indeed a child of God, we've got to learn to forgive. Love your enemies. Don't hate them. Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who persecute you. That's how you show that you are a son and a daughter of God. If you love those who love you, verse 46, it says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only those, uh, sorry, greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, the perfection Jesus is talking about there is forgiveness, if you tie it in with the previous verse. Perfection is in forgiving your enemies. Church, we need to understand this. If God was not forgiving, none of us would really know God. In Exodus 34, God introduces and he talks to Moses. And one of the things that he says to Moses is what? God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and forgiving iniquities. God is a forgiving God, church. God is a forgiving God. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am the one who wipes away your transgressions. It's God talking about it. He's the one who forgives, and I will not remember your sins, it says. Again, New Testament, there's several passages in the Old Testament that talks about, talks about God's forgiveness. It says, Isaiah 1.18, we know this verse, come, let's reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be what? As white as snow. They're the red like crimson. They will be like wool. God forgives. Forgiveness is one of the most godlike things that we can ever do. New Testament, you think about, there's several stories, but you think about Luke 15, the prodigal son. The most, I mean, you could easily say, put him up there with the tax collectors and sinners because that's one of the worst things he ever did. The worst possible sinner, but when he comes back to the father, we know the story. The father what does what? Oh, let him come back. No. The father runs to him when he sees him, throws his arms around him, kisses him all over his head, puts a ring on his finger and a robe on his back, sandals on his feet, and then they have party. Celebrating what? Forgiveness. As much as it's the story of the prodigal, we know the point is the father, the loving father who forgives, who's willing to forgive. Like I said earlier, on the cross, the greatest display of forgiveness. Father, forgive them. Stephen does the same exact thing in Acts chapter 7 when he's being stoned. What does he say? Father, don't hold this against them. Amen. That's the most God-like thing we can ever do. The most Christ-like we can ever be is by forgiving people. Ephesians 4, 31, 32, when we did our study in Ephesians, we talked about it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice be kind and compassionate to one another and then it says this forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you Amen. again and again and again throughout scripture it tells us forgive forgive please understand the Bible assumes that we will be offended we know 
We will be offended. But it says forgive. If you want to be like God, you want to be like Christ, you want to be an imitator of Christ, we've got to learn to forgive. Second reason we forgive is because forgiveness violates the law of God. Reason I forgive, I forgive is because forgiveness, unforgiveness violates the law of God. We know uh, when, when Moses was given the Ten Commandments, he says, do not kill. But what does Jesus do? Again, pushes it. You have heard that it is said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Racha, it is answerable to court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I don't know if I have to say anything about that really. In the Old Testament, it was the death penalty because that's what God demanded as justice for someone who murdered some, a person. But Jesus says, let me take you a little deeper, people. Because he said, if you look at them or you are angry with them, you're already guilty. You didn't actually do it. But in your heart, you probably did. He said, I mean, just think about it. Jesus was talking about intent right there. Intent right there. 1 John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Yeah. If you're angry with someone, you are guilty, he says again. Church, it's hard to preach this message because... As I prepare this message too, I'm like, oh man, what did I do? Sometimes we just got so caught up with righteous anger that just justifies us being offended and staying offended and being a victim. Unforgiveness violates the law of God. And when you violate the law, you are under divine judgment. You are under divine judgment. Church, the problem that Jesus had back then was with these people, and especially the Pharisees, they were all about external stuff. And that's why he calls them hypocrites, because they emphasize external piety. That's why Jesus has to go further. It's not about just doing something. It's about how on the inside your intent. And that's what he's looking at. Because with our words, we might not say anything bad. With our actions, we might not do anything bad. But in our hearts, do we really forgive? We're called to forgive. We ought to forgive. If we bear, and the simple reason we forgive is because we ought to see people that are created by God, created in His image. And that's why you may think they are not worthy of, of your forgiveness, but if you see them as creatures created by God in His image, that makes them worthy and valuable enough for you to forgive them. The lack of forgiveness, and forgive me for saying this too, the lack of forgiveness is extremely selfish. It's extremely selfish. And that's why Jesus equates it to murder. Anyway, 
We are most like God, Christ-like when we forgive. We forgive because we realize unforgiveness violates the law of God. The third reason I forgive is because whoever offended me, I realize has offended God more. Whoever for, uh, offends me has offended God more. The point is this. If God who was offended, most offended, has forgiven, why can't I forgive? When someone offends you, they are guilty of that, but they stand more guilty in the presence of God, and God forgives them, why can't we forgive? We say that, God may forgive you, but I will never forgive you. That's essentially what we're doing sometimes when we fail to forgive. David says in Psalm 41 verse 4, As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. And he says what? I have sinned against you. And now that I receive forgiveness, I should show forgiveness too. I realize that they have offended God more. One pastor said, every sin commended against you may be a sin against you, but it's a far greater sin against God. And if God chooses to forgive that sinner, why can't you forgive him? Forgiveness makes us more like God. Forgiveness, unforgiveness violates the law of God. Unforgiveness violates the law of God. We realize that the person who has offended me has offended God far greater. And that leads me to the point that if I forgive, I forgive because I have been forgiven already. Well, Dan touched on it during worship. He says, the angels sing a song, but they don't understand what forgiveness is. We know and experience, understand God's forgiveness. And we forgive because God has forgiven us. He has forgiven us of our greatest offense. How can we not forgive people? If God is willing, church, think about it. If God is willing to forgive the greatest debt ever, why can't we forgive the small debts that people have against us? brings me to that passage we read earlier in Matthew 18. Of course, as you read it, you, you, you love Peter. Peter always has to one-up everybody else, you know. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother who offends me? And of course, he's, he's really trying to impress Jesus, get a, you know, some sort of, every time he tries that, Jesus kind of tells him, get back, get behind me or whatever. You know, how often should I forgive my brother who offends me? And it says, of course, up to seven times. And we know, if you know uh, Jewish tradition, some people say, hey, you're required to do it three times, right? The fourth time, you don't have to forgive that person. That's what some of the Jewish tradition says. But so Peter is like, three times and three times and one extra. You get that? I mean, you, if you've been in church, you know that. I mean, you know that well. He says, yeah, I forgive him seven times. Is that good, Lord? And then Jesus, of course, again, seeing through Peter and everything else, he says, what? Three times? Seven times? No. What do you have to do? Seventy-seven times, which is 490 times. The point is, you forgive and forgive, you forgive. If someone offends you 490 times, that's a lot. Think about it. That's every single day for a year and a half. That's a lot. But that's the point. You don't keep track of what they have done wrong. What you need to do, what you ought to do is forgive and forgive and forgive for one simple fact. You have experienced the forgiveness of God. I forgive, you forgive because we have experienced forgiveness that we have in Christ. 
And that's the whole parable here. I mean, the whole point is you stay constant in your forgiveness and consistent in your forgiveness. Don't choose who you forgive and who you don't forgive. The kingdom of heaven is like this king who wants to settle all the accounts. And of course, this guy comes who owes him oh, 10,000 bags, 10,000 talents. We know the whole idea is that it's a, it's a price that they can never pay back. He can never repay that. He's basically, what he's done is embezzle something. He's taken from this guy, taken from this king, and he has nothing. He can't return it. And so what does the king decide to do? The king or the Lord decides, the master decides to do, okay, let's take him. He can't pay it back, so let's take him and his, his family and everybody else, and let's sell them off. And whatever money I make on that, we'll put that towards that loan. That It's never going to be enough, but that's something. But what does he do? This guy is so distraught, he basically falls down on his knees and begs that guy, hey, be patient with me. I will repay you everything. That's kind of, you know, he can never repay that. It's a debt he can never repay. It's kind of ridiculous because it would be impossible for him to pay it back. But then it says what? The master felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Released him and forgave him the debt. Now we understand what the point of this parable is, right? There's an unpayable debt. The man has no capacity to pay it back. But the king has compassion and forgives him the debt. What's the story about? Us and God. That's the point of the parable. We owe a debt we can never pay. Yet because of Christ, he forgives us and sets us free. But then what does this guy do? He goes out, found a slave who owes him a hundred denarii. So it's like a hundred, a denarii is a day's wage. So a hundred days work. But this guy goes, grabs him, chokes the life out of him, basically, and pay me back. Of course, the guy falls to his feet. The second servant falls to his feet, says the same exact words, have patience with me. I will repay it. It's a something that he can repay. It's only 100 days work. But he was unwilling, it says, and went and threw him in prison until he should pay him back. It's kind of, think about it. If you want someone to pay you back, you don't throw him in prison. He's never going to pay you back. He's never going to be able to pay you back. The intention was never to get back what he was owed. The intention was to make that guy's life miserable. That was his intention right there. And then, of course, he says he was unwilling and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay him back what he was owed. The point of the parable is to get the audience riled up, to get them upset. The point is he's trying to get people to say, how ungrateful is that guy? That's the point of the parable. He was forgiven a debt he could never pay and he doesn't forgive someone who can pay him back, really. You get the idea. When you receive so much forgiveness, how can you not give a little forgiveness? Because in comparison to the greatest debt, when people offend us, it's nothing. How can you not forgive someone Who's offended you when you have received such a great forgiveness? God has forgiven us an unpayable debt. That's why we forgive. That's why we forgive. As one author put it this way. To go out then and to choke people and throw them into prison. 
do damage to their lives, their reputation because of small offenses to you is to manifest that you are a disgusting person. I was reading that and I was like, ouch, I don't know if I can say that, but yeah. Receive so much forgiveness, yet unable to forgive a little. It's just a disgusting person. I was like, it's just true. Again, I said this earlier, it confounds me when I say Christians who are easily offended and then make the choice to hold on to that offense. People will hurt you. I'm not saying you. Yes, you will get angry, but the point is to forgive. The point is to forgive. The unwillingness to forgive is to choose to hold on to that hurt. Hold on to that hurt. Fifth reason I should forgive. I've got to rush through. Fifth reason I forgive because forgiveness, unforgiveness isolates me from real fellowship. Unforgiveness isolates me from real fellowship. The person who chooses not to forgive does not enjoy the fellowship of the believers around him. You don't enjoy true fellowship of believers around you. So this person, he goes in verse 31, it says, when he does this, what did he do? His fellow slaves saw what had happened and they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. These were his friends, basically. And when they see him, these are the group of people he hung out with. But when they see him being unforgiving, what happens? It isolates him. He loses fellowship because of the way and his attitude of unforgive, unforgiveness. The truth is this. If you are an unforgiving person, sooner or later people will want nothing to do with you. Simple reason is this, I get too scared, I might say something wrong and you'll be so offended, don't know what you're going to say about me to the others. And we still forgive, right? We still show the other cheek and everything else. But the truth is this, you will lose the fellowship of genuine people when you choose unforgiveness. You will lose fellowship, genuine fellowship, when you choose unforgiveness over forgiveness. You alienate yourself from other believers. Another reason I choose to forgive, again in the same passage, is because when I don't forgive, I become a target of divine judgment. If nothing else can scare you, that ought to get drive the message home. Often we don't want to hear this part. Because being offended is empowering. It is empowering and we feel so righteous and justified in our anger. But we got to realize that when we don't forgive, we become targets of divine judgment. And that's exactly what happens to that guy. Please, again, don't... I've had people always take it to an extreme. Don't take it to another extreme. Yes, forgive doesn't mean you just give them the hand them over the keys to your car. Like, okay, do whatever you want to do. No, you're not doing that. You're still not wise. You've got to use wisdom. But in your heart, you need to learn to truly forgive someone. Use wisdom. The master called the servants in. He's called that servant in. You wicked servant. You wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then, verse 34, we don't like this part. In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay all he owed. Could he pay all that he owed? 
No, the point was he was in eternal torment because he didn't forgive. And then verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. It's harsh, but it's the truth. When we choose unforgiveness, we become or come under the judgment of God. We become targets of the judgment of God. If you go to James, James chapter 2, 13, it talks about the same thing towards the end. Judgment will be merciless to those, uh, to the one who shows no mercy. Judgment will be merciless to the one who shows no mercy. If you are not a forgiving person, you open yourselves out to the judgment or to judgment by God. In the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? Be merciful. The merciful will be shown mercy. It says that there. If we choose unforgiveness, we are targets. We will become targets of divine judgment. Kind of brings me to the last point that I, I'll probably share today. He's isolated and comes under divine judgment. And I think this is powerful. The one who does not forgive will not be forgiven. I need to clarify that a little. The one who does not forgive will not be forgiven. That's Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever. Chapter 6. He says, pray this way. What does he say in this prayer? Forgive us our debts as we also forgive the debts, our debtors, right? Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who have sinned against us. Comes back, it ties it all together, church. You have received forgiveness for a debt you could never repay. Now it's our responsibility to forgive those. To forgive those who have offended us. Keep going in that same chapter, verse 14. It says, if you forgive others for their sins against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Please understand, and most scholars will agree with me, it's not talking about salvation as such in this passage, but more in, 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 in the ideas that you come under a curse from God in terms of losing out the blessings of God. It's talking about staying in the place of blessing where you enjoy God's provision, God's protection, God's favor in your life because you choose to forgive also. You don't... You don't lose your salvation. Please don't take it to that extreme. I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to say there. But what does happen is you come under the divine judgment. You come under the part that he's talking about. His, you lose God's protection. You lose his provision. You lose his favor. And what you are is isolated from the fellowship. You're isolated from God in a, in a sense. When you choose not to forgive it ends up being a miserable existence, church. You're going to be always angry. You're going to be always offended. You're always going to be cynical and skeptical. You're going to be skeptical about everything. You're always going to be negative. You're always going to look at the half-empty cup when you choose unforgiveness. 
Let me just say this. The emptiness that it brings to people's lives when they choose unforgiveness. I've been a pastor long enough and I've seen that in so many people's lives. Their lives are devoid of the joy that is meant for each one of us because they choose unforgiveness. I don't know how else to say it, but it's so evident when they choose that. We are to forgive because we are like Christ when we forgive. We are to forgive because unforgiveness violates the law of God. We are to forgive because God is offended more than just us. We are to forgive because God has forgiven us the greatest debt ever. We must forgive them. We are to forgive or we must forgive because unless we forgive, we will end up isolating ourselves from Christian fellowship. We are to forgive. We ought to forgive because if we don't forgive, we become objects of God's judgment. We must forgive because if we don't forgive, God will not forgive us our sins. And that's what the last part means. When you forgive, you've got to forgive from your heart. Let me end with this. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, you can never truly worship God. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, you can never truly worship God. I know it sounds harsh, but the absence of forgiveness hinders you from worshiping God. Jesus, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, when you come into the altar, in chapter 5, he said, when you come to the altar with your offering, what do you do? You remember that a brother has something against you. What does he say you should do? Leave your offering there in, at the altar. Go get reconciled and then come back and present your offering. You cannot truly worship God if you have unforgiveness in your heart. Just a couple more verses right here. I don't want to ever, I'll just say this. I don't want to ever come into God's presence and just say things that I don't mean. When we have unforgiveness in our hearts and we come before God, we're just singing songs that really make no difference. Romans chapter 12, he says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Bless those who persecuted. Again, verse, uh, same chapter, verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never. And then it says this was, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Your role, your responsibility is to forgive. Your role is to go, and I just talked about this to someone just last Sunday. Our job, our role is to go and seek forgiveness and forgive. Whether they respond, that's in their hands. That's in God's hands. Our job is to forgive. Our calling is to forgive as far as it is possible. And it depends on us. Be at peace with all men. And then it goes on to say, never take your own vengeance. And it says beloved because he's talking to believers there. Leave room for the wrath of God for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. Same thing as echoed in Deuteronomy too. To be an imitator of Christ, we have got to learn to forgive. We have got to learn to forgive. Let everything into God's hands. God knows how to deal with it.
I don't want to play God and not forgive someone. Count it all joy, it says. For what? The trials, the persecutions. When someone offends you, if you can get that, you know, all that at the end. What is God doing? What is God doing? Perfecting us, maturing us through it all. We have got to learn to forgive. Bow your heads with me at this time. It's such a challenge. It's so hard, hard to preach. I'll be honest. It's hard to preach. Forgiveness is hard because people have genuinely hurt us. People have genuinely wronged us. But that's the challenge. If we want to be like Christ, we have got to be willing to forgive. Forgive those who hurt you. Forgive those who falsely accuse you. Forgive those who lie about you. Forgive those who uh, uh, offend you. Forgive those who criticize you. Forgive those who have an injustice against you. But please understand that God uses every single one of those situations to accomplish His will in your life, which is to make you more like Christ, to bring you to maturity and perfection. But you've got to be willing to forgive. If you want to be like Christ, we have got to learn to forgive. I started with this and I've got to end with this. In the moment of the greatest injustice in the history of humanity, he said, Father, forgive them. Forgiveness is everything, church. It's the only thing that's going to sustain true love in your family, in your relationships, in the church. Too. Father, forgive them. That's your job. Whether they respond to it or not, that's in God's hands we got to do is forgive. Can you truly say this morning that you have experienced God's forgiveness? Because the sacrifice Jesus made on that cross was the forgiveness of our sins so that once again we can have a relationship with God. And if we have been forgiven, if you've experienced that forgiveness in your life, when you have really tasted and that, that forgiveness and people have said it, people have described it, it's like that weight that fell off their shoulders because they experienced for the first time genuine forgiveness. If you've experienced that forgiveness, how can you not forgive?
to be an imitator of Christ, you have got to forgive. So I'll stand to a feet.